and welcome to Daring Carefully. Today we'll include a discussion of Malta's history with occupation and colonialism and how that impacts their present day. So I've mentioned before Malta's history is really extensive. It is believed that humans first came to the island in about 5900 BC. Um, but since that initial settlement, there have been a lot of different groups of people that have passed through here. And actually, over 2,000 years of Malta's history have been spent under some kind of foreign occupation. So there's obviously a lot of impacts from that. And even though Malta's been independent for almost 55 years at this point, this history of colonialism is really present in a variety of ways. So probably one of the easiest ways to trace Malta's history is through its language. So there are actually two official languages here in Malta, English and Maltese. So first, English. It's widely spoken here, um, very common, taught in schools, and I would mostly say that it's a relic from the over 150-year occupation of Malta by the British. So next, Maltese. I find that much more interesting. It's actually one of the only Semitic languages found and spoken in the European Union. So this means it just belongs to the language family that includes Arabic and Hebrew. The language has been described as Arabic meets Italian, and it's originated as essentially a dialect of Sicilian Arabic, which has since died out and it's heavily influenced by Arabic. And the influence seems to have emerged during the Arab-Byzantine areas of occupation, so when both the Arab and Byzantine empires came through Malta, this is when the language seems to really be established. And actually, in a museum I was visiting, the Museum of Natural History, I noticed a plaque crediting the emergence of Maltese as uh, a language to the Byzantine occupation. So language is important, and language figures heavily into a place's identity. So the roots of Maltese are really interesting just because they provide some of that insight to cultural heritage. And this linguistic heritage is very unique, and it's a unique identifier of Malta, and it kind of serves as a reminder to the world that their history isn't solely European. And with that, also, the physical landscape has some impacts from this really complex history. So when you look out into the Maltese landscape, you see construction. Construction pretty much dominates. A lot of buildings are receiving facelifts. When I walk down the street, I'm definitely going to encounter some scaffolding and the like. And actually, when speaking to another traveler, uh, she quipped, uh, we Brits like to say Malta will be perfect once it's finished. That is, if it's ever finished. So that's all well and good for a quick chuckle, but in reality, this is in part because Malta had significant damage from World War II. So to put it in perspective, the Blitz in London that many of us have learned about lasted about eight months. So during this time, there's also the Siege of Malta, and that lasted about two years and five months. This siege makes it the most bombed place on Earth ever. So 
with that, when I was visiting a number of historic sites, I noticed that restoration was kind of a slow process. Um, for example, Fort St. Angelo received extensive damage from the Siege of Malta, and most recent repairs on that historic site were just finished in 2015. So it was really sad in a lot of cases that a lot of amazing historic collections were lost and damaged during this time of conflict and most notably in the Museum of Natural History. Um, but that's not to say that it's ignored with the restoration. Um, the best example of how the Maltese address this history is probably the Royal Opera House in Valletta. So this theater was once considered the most beautiful buildings in the city, and it was actually not rebuilt. In 2013, it the ruins reopened as an open-air theater, so structural amendments were made so they were safe, but otherwise the building is there and the columns are standing there and it's really remarkable, but it's also very haunting. Um, in the center of Valletta, right next to Parliament, there's this building in shambles from World War II. Concerts are still actually held in the space. So navigating Malta's history with colonialism has posed some unique challenges to traveling in what you might call a socially conscious manner. And I think one really imp important part of being a socially conscious traveler is knowing the history of an area. And this was challenging because of Malta's complex history of occupation. So before we get started, the internet is an incredible resource. Um, I did attempt to use the library, however, and I was met with a really disappointing lack of information. In most cases, Malta was just a footnote or a paragraph in a book about England, in a book about the Byzantine Empire, in a book about the Roman Empire. You name it, it was probably not focused on Malta. And then I did really try and I checked no less than seven different collections and I was able to find one book on Malta and just Malta and it was titled Malta Blue Water Island by Gary Hogg. It was published in 1967 and unfortunately it was not much more than a vacation spot review with kind of some World War II history tacked in there. Um, I found a lot of the information that would have been very helpful or useful or relevant about this book just didn't really exist during the time of its writing. So I do give it some credit for existing and having information on Malta when there's really not much out there. So again, the internet is a wonderful resource and my research, no matter what it was, kept bringing me again and again to Probably one of the most unique features of Malta, it's language. So another way to be a socially conscientious traveler is to try and learn the language. So I tried, and I tried very hard, and as for hard copy books on the language, I was not able to trace any free or inexpensive resources, and even the more expensive resources I was encountering just didn't seem very comprehensive and all that being said I did turn to the digital world once again 
and it wasn't exactly helpful. First, there were exactly three apps costing less than $10 available to help a person learn Maltese. All were fairly simple, kind of like a guidebook where they had the word or phrase and then a translation. However, these apps did not have any audio to help with pronunciation, there was no information on grammar, um, and then the remaining two apps that I was able to find that cost more than $10, um, they, after reading the reviews, I found they do have audio, but little to no grammar information. Next, I checked YouTube, which was very helpful for pronunciation but still no grammar resources. So note to the general world, it is very difficult to try and learn a language without having information on how the grammar functions. So all that being said, the lack of information on the language, I don't think was the largest challenge that I faced when attempting to speak Maltese. To be frank, the fact that everyone spoke English made it harder to learn Maltese. So when you're addressed in English in a conversation, it feels kind of awkward to switch back to Maltese or switch the conversation to Maltese, especially when your language skills are like mine and rudimentary at best. So I have at least made an effort to say yes, no, please, thank you, hello, goodbye, Maltese, everywhere I go. And I've definitely noticed it makes a difference, especially when speaking to native speakers. And usually it starts a conversation because I'm quite hesitant when speaking Maltese. So since my hesitation gives me away, I've had some pretty cool conversations. And mostly people are very surprised that I've made any attempt to learn Maltese, even though it was kind of difficult. Um, and I usually walk away learning at least one new word. So I've really enjoyed that. Initially, I thought going in and being this self-reclaimed, sustainable and socially conscious traveler would be an interesting way to frame my travel, but it's definitely more than that. It's been an awesome conversation with myself that I've had about privilege and accessibility and I would just like to acknowledge and express my gratitude for being able to go on this trip and I am incredibly lucky to have been able to come up with the resources to go on this trip and I'm so thankful that I have a passport and all of those things and above all I'd have to say that I'm really so lucky to learn about a place by going to it, especially a place with not a ton of information on it. And I've found Malta definitely deserves more than the footnotes. And I've just really enjoyed learning and immersing myself in a new place. And it may sound kind of cheesy, but it was definitely worth going somewhere um, that doesn't have a ton of information published on it. So with that, I just kind of want to conclude this by thanking Dr. Fowler and Dr. Duval with all their help. And again, folks, thanks for listening. Don't forget to dare carefully.